Welcome to Quantum Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. Anytime astronomers figure out a new way of looking for magnetic fields in ever more remote regions of the cosmos, inexplicably, they find them. And ultimately, if they date back to the Big Bang, they could help solve a mystery. Magnetic fields surround Earth, the Sun, and all galaxies. 20 years ago, astronomers started to detect magnetism permeating entire galaxy clusters, including the space between one galaxy and the next. Invisible field lines swoop through intergalactic space, like the grooves of a fingerprint. Last year, astronomers finally managed to examine a far sparser region of space, the expanse between galaxy clusters. There, they discovered the largest magnetic field yet, 10 million light years of magnetized space spanning the entire length of this filament of the cosmic web. A second magnetized filament has already been spotted elsewhere in the cosmos using the same techniques. Federica Giovanni is with the National Institute for Astrophysics in Italy. She led the first detection. I think that probably there are also other systems, other filaments, which make, I hope that there are other systems which may present this kind of emission. But probably we are just at the start of the study. We are just looking at the peak of the iceberg, probably. The question is, where did these enormous magnetic fields come from? Franco Vazza, an astrophysicist at the University of Bologna, has thought about that. He makes state-of-the-art computer simulations of cosmic magnetic fields. Please excuse the reporter's typing. It clearly cannot be related to the activity of single galaxies or single explosions or I don't know, galactic winds from supernovae. This goes much beyond that. So it should be something operating for a longer time on larger scales. One possibility is that cosmic magnetism is primordial, tracing all the way back to the birth of the universe. In that case, weak magnetism should exist everywhere, even in the voids of the cosmic web, which are the very darkest, emptiest regions of the universe. The omnipresent magnetism would have seeded the stronger fields that blossomed in galaxies and clusters. Primordial magnetism might also help to resolve another cosmological conundrum known as the Hubble tension. It's probably the hottest topic in cosmology. The problem at the heart of the Hubble tension is that the universe seems to be expanding significantly faster than expected based on its known ingredients. In a paper posted online in April and published in Physical Review Letters in October, cosmologists Karsten Yadomzik and Levan Pogosian argue that weak magnetic fields in the early universe would lead to the faster cosmic expansion rate seen today. Primordial magnetism relieves the Hubble tension so simply that Yadomzik and Pogosian's paper has drawn swift attention. Theoretical cosmologist Mark Kamionkowski at Johns Hopkins University calls it an excellent paper and idea. He has proposed other solutions to the Hubble tension. 
Kamionkowski and others say more checks are needed to ensure that the early magnetism doesn't throw off other cosmological calculations. And even if the idea works on paper, researchers need to find conclusive evidence of primordial magnetism to make sure it's the missing agent that shaped the universe. Still, in all the years of talk about the Hubble tension, it's perhaps strange that no one considered magnetism before. Pogosian, who's a professor at Simon Fraser University in Canada, says most cosmologists hardly think about magnetism. Again, excuse the typing. The people who know a lot about the magnetic fields, they are more sort of hardcore astrophysicists working on plasma physics, like star physics, and they do really complicated simulations of magnetohydrodynamic systems. But those people don't necessarily work on cosmological problems or, or follow the recent developments in cosmology. On the other hand, people who do sort of mainstream cosmology, they don't work on magnetic fields, majority of them, because the subject of the magnetic fields has been around for a very long time. And everyone knows that it's one of those big puzzles in astrophysics, primordial versus astrophysical, that debate. But people are sort of used to it, and they don't think that it's something that they can change. To be fair, as Pogosian said, for decades there was no way to tell whether magnetism is truly ubiquitous and therefore a primordial component of the cosmos. So cosmologists largely stopped paying attention. Meanwhile, astrophysicists kept collecting data. The weight of evidence has led most of them to suspect that magnetism is indeed everywhere. In 1600, English scientist William Gilbert studied lodestones, naturally magnetized rocks that people had been fashioning into compasses for thousands of years. His studies led him to opine that their magnetic force imitates a soul. He correctly surmised that Earth itself is a great magnet and that lodestones look toward the poles of the Earth. Anytime electric charge flows, magnetic fields are created. For instance, Earth's field emanates from its inner dynamo, the current of liquid iron churning in its core. The fields of fridge magnets and lodestones come from electrons spinning around their constituent atoms. But once a seed magnetic field arises from charged particles in motion, it can become bigger and stronger by aligning weaker fields with it. Torsten Inslein describes it as a little bit like a living organism. Inslein is a theoretical astrophysicist at the Max Planck Institute for Astrophysics in Germany. He says magnetic fields tap into every free energy source they can hold on to and grow. They can spread and affect other areas, too. Ruth Durer, a theoretical cosmologist at the University of Geneva, says magnetism is the only force, apart from gravity, that can shape the large-scale structure of the cosmos. She says only magnetism and gravity can reach out to you across vast distances. By contrast, electricity is local and short-lived, since the positive and negative charge in any region will neutralize overall. But you can't cancel out magnetic fields. They tend to add up and survive. Yet, for all their power, these force fields keep low profiles. 
They're perceptible only when acting upon other things. Reinout von Viren, an astronomer at Leiden University, was involved in the recent detections of magnetized filaments. When stars form, there are these stars still form in our own galaxy, although not at a very high rate. That magnetic fields do seem to play a role in also how stars formed and how these stars form out of gas clouds. So magnetic fields are often part of that picture, but are also very poorly understood because they're so hard to measure. We yeah. cannot put a compass there, essentially. We need indirect methods. You cannot just take a picture of a magnetic field. It doesn't work like that. You can take a picture of a star, but the magnetic field is like so much harder. In their paper last year, Von Viren and 28 co-authors inferred the presence of a magnetic field in the filament between galaxy clusters Abel 399 and Abel 401 from the way the field redirects high-speed electrons and other charged particles passing through it. As their paths twist in the field, these charged particles release faint synchrotron radiation. The synchrotron signal is strongest at low radio frequencies, making it ripe for detection by LOFAR, an array of 20,000 low-frequency radio antennas spread across Europe. The team actually gathered data from the filament back in 2014 during a single eight-hour stretch, But the data sat waiting as the radio astronomy community spent years figuring out how to improve the calibration of LOFAR's measurements. Earth's atmosphere refracts radio waves that pass through it, so LOFAR views the cosmos as if it's at the bottom of a swimming pool. The researchers solved that problem by tracking the wobble of beacons in the sky, radio emitters with precisely known locations, They then corrected for this wobble to de-blur the data. When they applied the de-blurring algorithm to data from the filament, they saw the glow of synchrotron emissions right away. The filament looks magnetized throughout, not just near the galaxy clusters that are moving toward each other from either end. The researchers hope that a 50-hour data set they're analyzing now will reveal more detail. Additional observations have recently uncovered magnetic fields extending throughout a second filament. Researchers plan to publish this work soon. The presence of enormous magnetic fields in at least these two filaments provides important new information. Here's astronomer Reinout von Viren again. It has already scored actually quite some activity because now we know that at least magnetic fields are relatively strong. The radio emission is relatively bright and... That, from the simulation point of view, and also from the more theoretical point of view, if you do all these simulations and you kind of put realistic shocks in there, that you cannot really create something which is this much radio emission. It's, it's basically too bright, meaning that maybe this model is wrong. There are other models now which people are testing and working on, which maybe explain this by turbulence in the gas. If these magnetic fields arose in the infant universe, The question becomes, how? I know people have been thinking about this problem for a long time. That's Tanme Vachaspati of Arizona State University. Back in, I think, 1960, Harrison, I don't know if you know Harrison, the name Harrison, he had a paper on how one could get magnetic fields from turbulence very early. Zeldovic was thinking about magnetic fields, so they are respected people. (laughs) It's just that, There was no um, real evidence, I think, 
In 1991, Vachaspati proposed that magnetic fields might have arisen during the electroweak phase transition. That's the moment a split second after the Big Bang, when the electromagnetic and weak nuclear forces became distinct. Others have suggested that magnetism materialized microseconds later when protons formed, or soon after that. Late astrophysicist Ted Harrison argued in the earliest primordial magnetogenesis theory in 1973 that the turbulent plasma of protons and electrons might have spun up the first magnetic fields. Still, others have proposed that space became magnetized before all of this, during cosmic inflation. That's the explosive expansion of space that purportedly jump-started the Big Bang itself. It's also possible that it didn't happen until the growth of structures a billion years later. The way to test theories of magnetogenesis is to study the pattern of magnetic fields in the most pristine patches of intergalactic space, such as the quiet parts of filaments and even emptier voids. Field lines might be smooth, helical, or curved every which way, like a ball of yarn. The pattern may change in different places and on different scales. These details carry rich information that can be compared to theory and simulations. For example, if the magnetic fields arose during the electroweak phase transition, as Vachaspati proposed, then he says the resulting field lines should be helical. The helicity is a parity odd structure. The helicity is like a corkscrew, like a spring. It's either left-handed or right-handed. The hitch is that it's difficult to detect force fields that have nothing to push on. English scientist Michael Faraday pioneered one method back in 1845. It detects a magnetic field from the way it rotates the polarization direction of light passing through it. The amount of Faraday rotation depends on the strength of the magnetic field and the frequency of the light. So by measuring the polarization at different frequencies, you can infer the strength of magnetism along the line of sight. If you do this from different places, you can create a 3D map. Researchers have started to make rough Faraday rotation measurements using LOFAR, but the telescope has trouble picking out the extremely faint signal. Valentina Vacha is an astronomer and a colleague of Giovoni's at the National Institute for Astrophysics. She devised an algorithm a few years ago for teasing out subtle Faraday rotation signals statistically by stacking together many measurements of empty places. She says in principle this can be used for voids. But the Faraday technique will really take off when the next-generation radio telescope, a gargantuan international project called the Square Kilometer Array, starts up in 2027. For now, the only evidence of magnetism in the voids is what observers don't see when they look at objects called blazars located behind voids. Blazars are bright beams of gamma rays and other energetic light and matter powered by supermassive black holes. As the gamma rays travel through space, they sometimes collide with other passing photons, morphing into an electron and a positron as a result. These particles then collide with other photons, turning them into low-energy gamma rays. But if the blazar's light passes through a magnetized void, the lower-energy gamma rays will appear to be missing. At least that's what Andriy Neronov and Yevgen Volk of the Geneva Observatory reasoned in 2010. 
The magnetic field will deflect the electrons and positrons out of the line of sight. When they create lower energy gamma rays, those gamma rays won't be pointed at us. When Neronov and Volk analyzed data from a suitably located blazar, they saw its high-energy gamma rays, but not the low-energy gamma ray signal. Tanme Vachaspati says it's interesting because they're not seen. It's the absence of a signal, which is uh. the signal. So when the electrons go and hit the CMB photons and upscatter them to gamma rays, then you should be able to see those gamma rays unless there was a magnetic field. So if you don't see those gamma rays, then you infer that there must be a strong enough magnetic field to disperse those electrons. A non-signal is hardly a smoking gun. And some have suggested alternative explanations for the missing gamma rays. But follow-up observations have increasingly pointed to Neuronov and Volk's hypothesis that voids are magnetized. I think it's for sure a majority view. That's theoretical cosmologist Ruth Durer, whom we heard from earlier. Most convincingly, in 2015, one team overlaid many measurements of blazars behind voids and managed to tease out a faint halo of low-energy gamma rays around the blazars. The effect is exactly what you'd expect if the particles were being scattered by faint magnetic fields, measuring only about a millionth of a trillionth as strong as a refrigerator magnet's magnetic field. This exact amount of primordial magnetism may be just what's needed to resolve the Hubble tension, the problem of the universe's fast expansion. That's what Levon Pogosian realized when he saw recent computer simulations by Karsten Yadamzik of the University of Montpellier in France and a collaborator. The researchers added weak magnetic fields to a simulated plasma-filled young universe and found that protons and electrons in the plasma flew along the magnetic field lines and accumulated in the regions of weakest field strength. This clumping effect made the protons and electrons combine into hydrogen, an early phase change known as recombination, earlier than they would have otherwise. Pagosian read Yadamzik's paper and saw that this could address the Hubble tension. Cosmologists calculate how fast space should be expanding today by observing ancient light emitted during recombination. The light shows a young universe studded with blobs that formed from sound waves sloshing around in the primordial plasma. If recombination happened earlier due to the clumping effect of magnetic fields, then sound waves couldn't have propagated as far beforehand, and the resulting blobs would be smaller. That means the blobs we see in the sky from the time of recombination must be closer to us than researchers thought. The light coming from the blobs must have traveled a shorter distance to reach us. That means the light must have been traversing faster expanding space, says Pagosian. That distance depends on the expansion rate of the universe in a way that it's actually inversely proportional to the Hubble constant. So... It's like trying to run on an expanding surface, right? You cover less distance. The upshot is that smaller blobs mean a higher inferred cosmic expansion rate. That brings the inferred rate much closer to measurements of how fast supernovas and other astronomical objects actually seem to be flying apart. Here's Pogosian again. 
what's very important for this is the position of the peaks. And they showed how magnetic fields shift all the peaks. And from my experience, I know that changing H naught has a similar effect. It also yeah. shifts the peaks, but in the opposite way. So I thought, oh, I could compensate for that with the magnetic field. And I actually got quite excited about it straight away. Like I thought, wow, maybe we're seeing a first hint for detection of magnetic fields. This could be pointing us to the actual presence. So I wrote to Karsten. I knew him from before. I met him a couple of times at conferences. He's a very kind of careful guy, and he's also very relaxed. And he said, I'm on a boat, and I'm not doing physics now, I'm on a boat. So that he, he, it took us almost a year before we emailed again. So the two corresponded. Then he was asking me more specific questions. He was sort of skeptical, and I had to convince him that the peaks would move in the right way. And so then he was convinced, and he invited me to go to visit him in Montpellier. The two got together in France in February, just before the lockdown. Their calculations indicated that, indeed, the amount of primordial magnetism needed to address the Hubble tension also agrees with the Blazar observations and the estimated size of initial fields needed to grow the enormous magnetic fields spanning galaxy clusters and filaments. Pugosian says it's quite exciting. We got really excited because the kind of effects we need to explain the Hubble tension, they are in very good agreement with both the lower bounds from cosmic rays and from the kind of fields you need to explain the magnetic field in clusters and galaxies. So it all sort of comes together if this turns out to be right. Carlstrom helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Natalie Wolchover's full article, The Hidden Magnetic Universe Begins to Come into View, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Explore more about the mysteries of the universe in the Quanta book, Alice and Bob Meet the Wall of Fire, published by the MIT Press. Available now at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or your local bookstore. (music) 